Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew as an NQT, or should that be ECT now, with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our experiences, both good and bad, of life as a new teacher. I'll be talking to those who've just begun teaching as well as those who've spent a lifetime educating children. And one thing you can be sure of, they will all have something interesting and informative to say on the art of being a great teacher. Today, I'm talking to Andy Taylor. He started teaching in 2002. Yes, he's that old. Well, those were his words, not mine, of course, as I started in 1984, so goodness knows what that makes me. His first role was in a two-form entry infant school. He was there for six years before he began his role as the NQT mentor. The partner junior school federated with the infant school three years later, and Andy's leadership qualities were recognised when he was offered the post of assistant head. Soon, he became deputy head of the federation. After much success in this role and 16 years of teaching, Andy took up a post in higher education, where he still uses all his teaching experience to support and mentor students and ECTs. In a previous podcast, I called Maria Rumsey education royalty. Well, Andy is a star of the education world. Why do I say that? It's because Andy, a.k.a at Mr. T's underscore NQT's has over 28,000 followers on Twitter. And in my book, that makes him a celebrity. And what makes him so popular? It's all down to the endless advice, support and guidance he gives so freely to those taking their first steps as teachers. I'm thrilled he's found time to talk to me today as he has so much to share. And he's going to tell us his top five tips for those who have just started teaching. And you can be sure that if Andy says they're important, they really are. Andy, thank you so much for talking to me today. I know this is going to be good. Really, real pleasure to uh, be with you today, Jeremy. And uh, yeah, listening to that introduction, it sounds like you're talking about somebody else, really. Ah. uh, But uh, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting career I've had so far. Yeah, it sounds great. And it's always marvellous to hear people who've had great experiences in their careers, sharing them with others. The job is tough. There's always a problem that needs solving. And when you've got supportive people like you around who you can connect to through the ether, then, uh, cool, blimey, that's helpful, isn't it? Absolutely. Definitely is. And I think it's, you know, as a experienced teacher I feel kind of you know that's part of my role is to be able to support those that are joining the career and you know hopefully have them benefit from the experiences that I've had. Yeah and of course they will hugely so. So let's jump right in Andy. It's day one of your teaching career. What advice are you giving yourself on this day as a completely inexperienced teacher? Yeah, I remember that day with really, really vivid memories for me. I think everybody starts their kind of their NQT year with that sense of kind of excitement, um, nervousness, that anticipation of what it's going to be like. And I remember vividly being sat um, in the staff room with the other staff, obviously meeting some of them for the first time that day. And in walked the head with a brown envelope. Oh, no, um, not yeah, the brown envelope. The brown envelope. <laughs> so those of you who have qualified, I think, 
probably post 2006 when I have no idea what this is. So Ofsted used to send a, a letter into schools notifying them of an impending inspection. And so that's what arrived. So the head walked in saying we were going to be inspected in six weeks time, which I think in hindsight was quite almost a nice way. You knew they were coming, but also yeah. you knew they were coming for six yeah, weeks. that's right. And it was, yeah, I remember kind of the build-up to them kind of arriving. And we were, a, a said, a two-form entry infant school, so six classes. We had four inspectors for four days inspecting the school. And it was a very intense experience then. As, a, a, as an NQT at that point, I was observed teaching three times. Were you? And... Because they my, came in for so long, didn't they? They did. They stayed for the entire hour each time. So I was yeah. once in maths, once in English, and once in an afternoon uh, foundation subject was history I was doing. I remember it was a uh, hot seating session for uh, Florence Nightingale. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, that sounds so good, some, though, doesn't it? It was. It was really good. And actually, the feedback I got from the inspector who watched that lesson, he was a, an acting, he was a current head teacher at that point, and he, was, he did Ofsted inspections to top up the budget in his school. Oh, so nice. to feed it back in. And I don't like it, many inspectors, I've got to say, because I, no. <laughs> I, I find a lot of them don't do the job and have sort of lost touch with the reality of how difficult it is. So someone who's doing it to top up the, the budget in the school, he gets my vote. Absolutely. And, you know, it was that moment of after watch the lesson, he said, can I just say you have a fantastic career ahead of you those children in your care are going to have a great experience with you. Thank you for what you're bringing to the the, um, the profession. And that's one of those things that kind of stuck with me. And that's what I think everybody has that privileged position of being able to observe and support um, early career teachers. That's exactly what they need. They need that recognition of actually mm. you're coming into something that's, you know, I think I would admit it is a lot tougher to start in teaching than it was when I started back in 2002. And you want that recognition of actually, you know, you've got a lot to offer here. You're doing a cracking job. Keep going. And it's just that recognition of, you know, of passing on that kind of that sense of, you know, being proud of what you're doing and wanting to do really well in that job. Yeah, that's so important. And, and I, I don't want to be overcritical of Ofsted. Maybe there's a place, though, I think it's completely overblown what we've got mm -hmm. now. But I love the way you've described that, the humanity you want from the yeah. inspector. People are trying really hard. And, Absolutely. And, and so to give them some encouragement, whatever you think of the school, that's what you should be doing in your role. It's not yeah. just I've made a judgment, live with it, whether you like it or not. There's got to be that human quality. And I think for some inspectors, it's not there. The last inspection I had my, in my school as a head teacher absolutely charming charming inspector she was like a, a grandma's assassin so she was quite an elderly lady crikey she knew so much but the end of the first day my old school was called runwell at the end of the first day she said jeremy i think i've been runwelled and i said have you what does that mean she said it's such a wonderful place this school so i said does that mean we're going to get outstanding she said oh i wouldn't say that but um <laughs> But she said, it's such a wonderful place. It's so nurturing. Children are so well behaved. They learn so much. There's so many outstanding features. But your data did go down 7% last year. Um, <laughs> so she didn't pull any punches, but 
total humanity. And I, I had massive respect for her. Well, despite that brown envelope, then that clearly didn't stop you loving the job. And, and why not, given that you got such great feedback, which doubtless you'd earned because, of course, tough old job. And, and if people are saying that to you in your first six weeks, no wonder you've had such a great career. So what is it about teaching that you think makes it such a rewarding profession? I think for me, it's always knowing that you are making a difference to somebody's life, whether that be through, you know, conversations with and supporting parents to, you know, the work you're doing day in, day out with pupils. You have a, an opportunity to make such an impact on the lives of people for, you know, and open up opportunities for them. And I think about, you know, the pupils that I've, I've, I've taught over that time, you know, gone off to university, have achieved so much you think you've had a really small part to play in that and it's a really kind of humbling kind mm. of understanding that you you know you've just made a little bit of a difference here and there and you know there are those those key pupils that really kind of stay with you and um the area that I worked in was quite a close community and often bump into parents they would still kind of take the time to say oh you know still speak about you still in the top five of their teachers you know in secondary school you're still kind of ranking up there and you think that's so, making such a positive difference. And I think yeah. one of the things we do as teachers, which we take for granted or we don't acknowledge, is actually just by us turning up each day, opening that door with a smile, that's all some children need from you that yeah. day. That you know that you're welcoming there in your in your, to your classroom or to their classroom and that you are, you know, you care for them and you genuinely want the best for them. And that can make such a difference to so many pupils. That yeah, it can make the whole difference, can't it? For those children who are anxious for all sorts of reasons, there are so many reasons why children may not learn well. And if they come to a place where they love being, whether they work well that day or not, every day, and, and, and you've made such a good point, you open the door and you smile at them, even if they've been a right old pain in the neck the day before. Yeah. But you say, great to see you. How are you? Come on in. Can't wait for today. That just makes a big difference, doesn't it, for everyone? And and it makes a difference to have people like you on your staff as a head teacher. The people are always positive. I used to say to mine, you don't have a right to be miserable. If you want to have a moan, come to my office and moan. I don't mind you moaning. If you want to just get something off your chest, but don't moan to everyone about everything because it just brings everyone down. And feeling good about being a teacher is really important, isn't it? Because it transfers directly to the children. So I love the way you've described that. So your first few years, first yeah. few months, whatever, anything good, anything bad, anything amazing, anything ridiculous, anything that made you think, crikey, what have I got myself into here? Uh, yeah, I think obviously beyond the Ofsted experience, I remember that um, that first year I had my first class and I can't consider myself to be really blessed with my first class. They were an incredible bunch of pupils. They were that kind of pupils, the, the kind of pupils that you'd have the glue guns and the hacksaws out with on a Friday afternoon and you wouldn't have to worry about things like that. They were just, they just wanted to learn. They were little sponges. Yeah, I've just had a shiver run down my spine there because you said glue guns and hacksaws. <laughs> and that's almost from another time, isn't it? It's, it's when... It's when we had this fantastic hands-on curriculum before the over-heavy national curriculum. I'm a great fan of standards, and, and my school had great standards. And, you know, we went from the bottom 5% to the top 20%, and, and we were very proud of that. And the old grandma assassin said, 
crikey, you've got good standards in your school, even if your data did go down 7%. But, oh, I do yearn a bit for those days. You could still have great standards and hacksaws and glue guns and, 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 couldn't you? So sorry to interrupt you, but it was just, it took me back 20 years there. and <laughs> I had a, a nostalgic moment. Absolutely. But you're absolutely right. You know, we do, I think some of those those things have been have been lost along the way and mm. unnecessarily and, and so, I think, and sadly. I think so. so. But yeah, so I remember one little girl I had in my class who uh it was a character, and so was her mum. And I remember one, it was a winter's day, uh, quite a cold day, and she walks towards me with um, one of those like big furry kind of pockets that just like hang around oh, the neck, yeah. like, both her yeah. hands in. And um, she, her first, I said, morning, her first words out me, she held up her, her hands to me, said, do you like my muff? <laughs> and um, I, I just didn't know how to respond. It was one of those moments. And then at the corner of my eye, I saw her mum rocking with laughter at the other side of the <laughs> playground. She clearly prepped her daughter to come I and say this she had... reaction that I would get from this young this young teacher, young male teacher stood there, how I would react to this. I just didn't know what to do with myself. I, I can laugh about it now. At the time, it was completely flustered. And like, and lovely. <laughs> that, 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 those are great things. And uh, But what's lovely there is that that demonstrates the relationship you had with the parents because total trust in you that you wouldn't be offended or you no. wouldn't be put out or you wouldn't think this is a safeguarding issue. It demonstrates, doesn't it, that so early in your career that these parents thought, He's okay, this bloke. We can speak to him as a real human being and respect him, but also have a laugh with him. And I always liked that with my parents, that that's what you wanted, a real, a proper relationship, I'd call it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that takes time, can take time to build as a, as a mm. new teacher to the school. Um, you know, you've worked in a school for a while, you build that social capital in the kind of the community and parents know even before they've had you teach the children what kind of teacher you are because of you know that word of mouth or the you know feedback from other parents or the pupils but as a young teacher that can be quite you know intimidating working with some no parents. it can yeah it really can absolutely and the other event I remember um we were in a it was actually move up day I remember it again really vividly um so the move up day, we we're just about to get the children kind of lined up, ready to move on to their next classes. So I took year two, so I was just about to kind of get them ready to take them up to the junior school, which sat on the same site for year three. And one of the children just said, Mr. Taylor, there's smoke coming out the light. Oh, no. It was one of those moments I thought, is there really? And you kind of think like, oh, OK, here we go. So I went to look and lo and behold, there was this kind of greyish black smoke starting to billow from one of the... Uh, lights above and it was at the moment they thought oh what do I do with this situation um so my first instinct it was right by the fire bell, right so we pressed the press the fire bell because obviously we wasn't sure kind of what was going on no. the kind of building evacuated and then we got asked me to turn off the light because I thought it's an electrical problem we'll cut the electric off to stop it um, and then out we all filed onto the playground head teacher was like is it a false you know and I was like no there's smoke coming out of the light she's like oh so it's in trying to not, so nobody went back into the building, into the fire brigade around. So this was kind of a great kind of excitement, as you can imagine, in the school. You know, pupils not wondering, staff wondering kind of what was going to happen. Yeah. Quite, some of our pupils, I had a little boy in my class at that time who had an autistic spectrum condition, and he really, he really struggled with the noise and the kind of the change yeah. in that environment and what was going on. 
So it was again, it was that reassuring moment of kind of calming them down. Within an hour, we were back to some sort of normality. And yet basically the kind of one of the lights that just something had come loose in it and yeah, just started to to mount the um like the the ceiling tiles oh right in the, uh, in the roof yeah and, well that's yeah. really impressive the way you've dealt with that because you we do all these drills don't we i had we one in my last school where a little lad who was quite vulnerable and uh was unpredictable yeah. and and it, it brought a lighter into school from home and it set fire to his pe bag in the cloakroom yeah. and uh an hlta was taking the class at the time and she said i didn't know what to do she did because she set the fire alarm off. She took the children out. The whole school came out. I said, that's textbook. That's exactly why we have those fire drills every term. So she said, yeah, but at first I didn't know what to do. I said, well, you came out after about five seconds, so it didn't take you long. Yeah. It's those moments, isn't it, when you do, you, you process, and it feels like an eternity, that mm. processing moment of what do I do. But you're right, it's in a matter of seconds, really. Yeah. Now, obviously, you're still a young man. <laughs> much much as you made that outrageous claim that you were getting on a bit, which made me feel that I was on my last legs because yeah. I'm so much older than you. Um, but what about all those great achievements you've had? What's the greatest one, do you think? The greatest achievement as a teacher? Uh, it's, it is, that's a really difficult one because it's often mm. that there's no kind of big significant moments it's all those little moments that become significant because of the impact that they have and those moments that at the time where actually it's just doing the right thing at the right moment actually mm. has a, a long-lasting quite significant impact and I think for me it's always been that ability to be able to support others and have whether that be pupils or that be staff and and see them kind of going on to achieve and you know I know that sounds quite, quite no it doesn't Whatever you're going to say there, whatever you're going to say there, I'm going to disagree because <laughs> what, what it is is what a great committed professional like yourself does to make sure that other people can do the best they can do. And I don't think that's cliched or whatever other phrase you were going to use. I just think that's wonderful because, because yeah. isn't it? Because that's what it is about. Have I helped you to be the best you can be? Yeah. And and whether you're a student, a teaching assistant, a finance officer, a teacher, a head teacher, a caretaker, it doesn't matter. Have I have I played my part in enabling everyone to be the best they can be? And if you have, crikey, you can take a lot of pride in that, can't <laughs> you? Rightly, because I think there's lots of people like that in the world, but you can't have too many, can you? No, I absolutely agree. And thank you for saying all those bits because it does, it, you know, sometimes we talk about their significant achievements. They talk about these things they've created or things they've, mm. they've done. And like I said, for me, it's just that sort of, um, quite recently I was asked to be a referee for um, uh, an NQT that I'd mentored with the NQTs, and she was going for her first deputy headship job. And I thought, wow. actually, she's going to be a cracking deputy. But again, you think that that ability to be able to support at that point in their career, to give them the skills, to equip them with kind of taking those next steps. It's, you know, it's, it's hugely powerful, actually, to know that, you know, you've, you've enabled somebody to be able to succeed. And I think that's, you know, that's probably my my greatest achievement. Yeah. And, and an ongoing one. Yeah. Woohoo. Now, <laughs> now, 
At this point, I normally ask my guests, what's the one thing they wish they knew as a new teacher that they know now? But I'm not going to ask you that, of course, because you're our new teacher guru. So uh, you're going to share five top tips, aren't you? So uh, listeners, get your notebook ready. If you're sitting comfortably, Andy will begin. We'll do this in reverse order, I think. You know, I'm an old bloke. I won't keep going on about that, even though I've said it three <laughs> times now. But I used to listen, you know, to Top of the Pops, and you used to get the chart run down in reverse order. So uh, we'll start with number five. What's number five for you? I think considering what, you know, how my work with um, NQTs and ECTs over the years, I think a bit of a, for the first piece, uh, number five for me would be to know that you are enough. Oh, nice. That so many, you know, NQTs, ECTs, they feel they are, they're not ready. They don't feel that they've got those skills. They feel that there's that constant fear of not being able to do the job or feeling that others will perceive them as not being able to do the job. And there's a lot of pressure that people put on themselves with that expectation to be the finished article. Mm. You know, you've been through training, you kind of, you've, yeah, you've achieved your qualified teacher status. That does not mean you are the finished article. You are still learning, you know. I'm now 20, nearly 20 years into my, you know, career in education. I'm still learning every day. I'm still improving, still getting better, still trying out new things. Yeah, 100%. I'm 37 years into mine, still learning, still all the time, still learning. That's one of the joys, isn't it? It is. It is. And that's why the job keeps people in it, because Mm. there's always things to be doing, always that development. You never get a boring day. But it is... It is about knowing that actually you've you've earned your right to be in that school. You know, you've been through that interview process. Some of you have trained through really challenging times the last couple yeah, of years. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the resilience and, you know, your awareness, your ability to be flexible, adaptable. It's just in, in spades you've got those skills. So absolutely do not doubt your ability to do this job. Yeah, that's a brilliant one to start with. That could be number one, but I have no doubt at all that everything you say could be number one. But um, but as we've made our arbitrary five, four, three, two, one, we might as well stick with it. So what's number four? So number four for me, I would say to know the expectations of, of, of you and what you should be expecting from your school for your induction. There's a great document out there on the DfE website. If you just Google in induction for early career teachers, it will take you to the guidelines that you will you can use to help you know, okay, what should I be expecting from my school? What should I expect from the appropriate body? They're the group that will kind of sign you off and handle your induction process. And also what then is the expectation of of you as an individual to how you should be engaging with it? And one of the key messages is you don't need to create a folder of evidence. You know, that evidence gathering should not be burdensome. It's really in there in black and white. You shouldn't be gathering a folder of evidence that evidence will come through professional dialogue through your, your review meetings where you might be asked to show examples of your marking, examples of your planning, examples of, um, I don't know, like provision maps to show you're mm. meeting the needs of individuals. But it's just about showing them at that time. It's not about collating them together and you know, your folder is not going to be weighed at the end. And if it's not heavy enough, you don't pass. That's <laughs> not how it works. It is about you know, that ongoing professional development, that professional discussion that you're having, it is not about gathering evidence. That's one of the key expectations of you is to not gather evidence. I love that bit of advice because I I do a lot of work with trainee teachers and early career teachers. 
And I say to them endlessly, I'm so glad you've said it because you've got more experience at that sort of technical side of the thing than I ever have. And I say to them, the evidence is in what you do. The evidence is in the children's books. It's in your planning. So I'm delighted to hear that because I reckon you might get even more followers after this (laughs) because I'm lecturing again next week. And I'm going to say, I'm going to put your Twitter feed into the lecture and say, listen to this man, because he's got lots of things that will make a lot of sense for you. Okay, then. Number three. Look after yourself is my number three. It's that knowing that you, teaching is a job that will take the time that you give to it. Mm. And what's really important is each week you block out those times where actually I'm doing no work. I'm going to go socialise with friends. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to do something that I enjoy, something that rests and replenishes you. That's so important in this job because there will, be, there will always be something you could be doing. What's so important is you block that time to know, actually, this is my time for working and then this is my time for me and I'm going to do things that I enjoy. Even if it's just slobbing on the sofa, watching a, your favourite film, it is about protecting that time for looking yeah. after yourself. And this is the expression we often turn to, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. You can't give constantly to others if you don't have time to replenish yourself. And teaching is a job where you give so much. Mm. You know, the pupils will take from you your, your knowledge, your wisdom, your kindness, your empathy. You have to make that time for yourself to be able to replenish you so that you can do that the most effectively way you can. And it's not being selfish. No. It enables you to do the best job that you are capable of doing. Protecting that time for yourself is so important. Yeah, that's that's definitely true because, you, as you say, you just run out, don't you, otherwise? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you're of no use to anyone, but particularly yourself. I used to say to my staff, in the end, it's a job. It's really important. We care desperately about it. That's the great mark of this school that we love what we do and we love our children and we want them to do so well. But at the end, still just a job. Yeah. And if and if you're not looking after yourself, then we're going to have to help you do it. Radio number two. Number two, uh, build relationships. That's the kind of a biggie for me, whether that be with the pupils, would that be your, your colleagues, teachers, TAs, lunchtime supervisors, the school cook, the school secretary, the head, the um, caretaker, head teacher, governors, build those relationships, mm. parents as well. You will need those relationships throughout your time as your, through your early career. You will need those relationships. You'll need them to be strong. There'll be times when you can support others and there'll be times when you might need them to support you. And if you've got those really positive professional relationships with those people, it will make your job enjoyable. It will make it more, yeah, you'll, you'll be able to get more from it. You'll be able to access that support. You'll know that there are people there that you can talk to that, you know, will support you and will guide you through. Some of them for practical reasons. Secretary will always usually know where the glue sticks are. That's it. Caretaker when something needs to be done in your classroom. If you want a shelf putting up, you know, having that relationship there, you know, there are practical things that you can benefit from, but also just being there to, to listen to people yeah. and having those relationships that then allow you to kind of get the best out of them to support the pupils. So your TA is a really good example of that. If you've got a strong relationship and, you know, that's outside the classroom as well, you know, having a coffee and a biscuit, a cup and a biscuit with them and just finding out about them, it, it will make a 
really big impact on what happens inside your classroom and allows you to both be really to know each other and to be able to support each other in that environment and I think it's building relationships in schools is such an important role in that part of your role yeah we should play this podcast as well to new head teachers because because often I go into schools and the teachers say well they've come in they're throwing their weight around we've got a good team here we want them to be part of the team and yet they seem to want to separate themselves from the team and 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 I, and I hear that quite a lot what you say it doesn't matter does it where you are in the school I used to say to my cleaners you are as important to the school as I am when I was a head teacher and they'd say well of course I'm not I said of course you are we've just got different responsibilities I said, I've got a lot more responsibilities than you, but you think to the last two years, I say, if the school's not clean, I can't open. Exactly. Your job Um, is as important as mine, but our our responsibilities are vastly different. Absolutely. And, you know, I I always thought that actually if the if a lunchtime supervisor is off ill mm. you know somebody has to fill that role if the cleaner's off ill you know i you know i'd often you know right well actually i'll, I'll wipe my tables down That's to it. asking who you know you have to chip in at those moments in time you do actually no offense to a heavy head teacher now the head teacher's off for the day actually the school probably will just run and manage itself it anyway. does it does Whereas, someone you know, when i left my last school the new head said to me uh, there's nothing to do here is there and I said, there's a thousand things to do, but you don't need to do them today. No. Find out about the school. When you know about the school, then you can start to make the changes. But it's a very successful school. You know, we've just had Ofsted. Next year's results are guaranteed. Yeah. There's no rush to do something. So find your feet and then you'll find endless things to do. Because to keep a school good, you've got to tinker with it all the time, haven't you? And you've got to keep implementing and changing. Absolutely. Oh, well, I'm I'm very excited now because we've reached number one. Actually, I've heard five, four, three, and two, and they're just brilliant. Do you know what I like about <laughs> them? It's not about saying, well, learning objectives and national curriculum. You've absolutely, I knew you'd do this, <laughs> but you've absolutely hit the nail on the head about, about, what I think is important too. So so you've given us a thrilling list so far. So what's number one? So number one for me is the thing that I, I promote the most on Twitter, in my life general. It's about that seeking support when you need it, reaching out for support, drawing on those systems that you've got around you. There can be a kind of linking back to number one, that sense of uh, number five, the first one we talked about, that... You know, that could be that sense of that if you are finding something difficult, that you shouldn't say anything because people expect you to be perfect. Mm. And actually uh, reaching out for that support is the best thing you can do. Schools are hugely supportive places. Yeah, You know, there are people in there that will absolutely help you as much as they can if they know what you need help with. And, you know, the, every NQT... I worked with in the time that I was working in school, mentoring NQTs. All of them cried on me at some point because Mm. things were not going the way they would want them to or the way they thought things should be going for them. But often it was because they hadn't spoken to me earlier about things they needed or or things were finding difficult because of that fear of, I didn't want you to think I couldn't do the job. And it's never about that. It's about, okay, you're finding this part of the job really tricky at the moment. 
what can we do to support you with that? Mm. And sometimes, you know, even things like workload, you know, sometimes if I had anybody say, I'm really struggling with the workload. Okay, well, tell me the things you want. I'm doing this and this. Why are you doing that? Well, I thought we had to do that. Okay, why did you think we had to do that? I don't really know. I just thought that was what was expected because that's what I did in my old... No, that's not an expectation here. And people sometimes will make up jobs because they feel they should be doing them. And sometimes just that conversation, actually, you half somebody's workload just through a conversation because of things they were doing that were, you know, again, there's nice things to do, but actually they're not essentials. No. They're not going to make your, you know, the learning any better or going to improve the outcomes of the pupils. But yes, it might make, make your classroom look a little bit nicer or, you know, those things that we can actually, you know, there's a lot that we can kind of break down for you, but only if schools know. So asking and seeking that support is so important because schools will offer it, but they need to know what, they, what the best way of supporting you is. Mm. Oh, brilliant, brilliant advice. Andy, what can I say? I was 99.9% confident before I spoke to you, because we've never spoken before, no. that uh, that this would be spectacularly good. And now I'm 159.9% sure it's going to be brilliant for anyone who's wants to learn something about being a new teacher. It's been so good. The way you so generously help others made me think of a famous Mother Teresa quote. She said... I alone can't change the world, but I can cast a stone across the waters to create many ripples. And that's what you do. You cast many stones and there are so many ripples affecting so many people because of the time you give up, because of your advice, because of your guidance. Wow, man, it's truly impressive. And I'll say it on behalf of everyone who you've helped. Thank you very much. I'm in awe of you. I, I, I just I, I love generous people. I love people who give of their time and and help others and expect nothing back. And and you do that so much. So thank you very much. Because remember, folks, you have two hands: one to help yourself, and the other to help others. And Andy is a shining example of that. And if we can all do that, how much better schools would be? but how much better the world would be. Thanks very much for talking to me today, Andy. It's been an absolute pleasure, Jeremy, it really has. And thank you for those really kind words. Yeah, no, well, well deserved. So what now, listeners? What is the one small thing that you will do tomorrow that will make a difference to your teaching and a difference to the success of your pupils? Remember, one small step at a time is the way to continual improvement. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. I'd be very keen to know what you'd like us to discuss in future podcasts. You might well say, get Andy back. I bet he's got a lot more things to say. We'll keep you updated, of course, on what's to come on Twitter at WhatNQT. I look forward to being with you next time for another educational chat with an inspiring teacher. Until then, I'm Jeremy Crook. And this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT, ECT, whatever you want to call it.